0: Off script with Trish Close, intimate interviews with interesting people. In front of my microphone today is Nick Ellis, my friend Nick Ellis. Hi, hey. Nick Ellis. You are the How's owner of Opposition Brewing. Yes. In Medford. Yeah, that's true. You and your wife Erin. Correct. And I mean, we, can we count Dennis?
1: Yeah, he's an owner. Okay. <laughs> Penny too.
0: <laughs> and Penny, exactly. All right. We're going to talk a lot about beer okay. and specifically Perfect. opposition. All right. Um, but first, uh, like I always like to start off with, where are you from originally?
1: Um, well, I was born in Southern California, Glendale, uh, to be specific. Didn't spend a lot of time there. Don't remember it super well, obviously. I was an infant. Um,
0: that is a fantastic story, first right? of all, I'm just kidding. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, spent a, another very brief time in uh, orange county and then moved to sacramento when i was 2. so really i, you know, where i'm where, where i'm from is is more like sacramento. sacramento. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you call it Sacktown? <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs>
0: Does anyone call it Sacktown? I don't, sack I don't town? know
1: that people call. It, they shouldn't. If they do, they should probably shouldn't call it that. Is Isn't um, that
0: interesting we have all these like, you know, South Carolina. I call it South Kakalaki. Portland, everybody's like, "Are you going to P town or PDX?" Right? right.
1: No, I've n- you know, I never, I've never heard it. You know, I from think Medford. I've heard that term before, but I personally town? have never referred to it as Sacktown. Well, that's because
0: <laughs> you're smart. You're a smart, intelligent yeah, person. Okay, so you grew up with a sibling.
1: Yeah, uh, I have an older sister. A
0: sister. Yeah. How much older?
1: Uh, three years. Okay. Yeah.
0: Did you guys get along? Um,
1: I think fairly well based on stories i've heard of of other siblings mm. i feel like she and i had a pretty decent you know leave me alone stay out of my way mm-hmm. sort of childhood um which of course like all siblings evolved into a very close adult relationship but <laughs> totally
0: well y'all are close now yes okay
1: yeah we chat weekly uh, Text is a fantastic thing because neither of us have a lot of time to talk on the phone, but we always can send each other a quick text here and there.
0: I feel like texting has saved a lot of relationships and friendships. Oh, yeah.
1: For sure.
0: I, I hate talking on the phone. phone
1: uh, what, don't call me. What are phones for? They're for texting. Text okay. Me, right? So, do you do
0: like you're <laughs> texting with someone for a few minutes and then they call and you're like, why are you calling yeah, me? Yeah,
1: I just ignore the call. call I'm like, <laughs> I was texting you for a reason. It was because I didn't want to talk to you.
0: You, hit, you hit the button to <laughs> yeah, silence ignore. the ring. Like Or, yeah,
1: if you don't want them to know you're ignoring them, you just let it keep ringing. Oh, I don't know why I didn't come through. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the other brilliant thing with cell phones now. If someone calls you, you don't want to talk to, you, and they're like, right. I called you like four times, you're like, something's wrong. Yeah, my I don't phone. know. It
1: didn't come through. Next time, text me, though. I'll, right. You know, I'm usually right. really good about those. <laughs> and no one,
0: no one questions <laughs> right? you. Oh,
1: it's just, it's the, you know. Technology,
0: you it's where. so it's weird. Fantastic. Exactly, yeah. I know. Yeah. That's the one good thing we can say about technology. Right, right. It saved us from some the awkward... The only one. The yeah, only one good that's thing. it. Yeah. Uh, what was childhood like for you?
1: Uh, great, pretty mellow. Um, you know, Sacramento, uh, I was there from like two to, I think like eight or nine, and then we moved to Redding. Mm-hmm. And, um... You know, I spent all of my years up until college there, the rest of my uh, childhood there. Uh, and it was a lot, you know, so I really kind of considered growing up in Reading. Um, hmm. uh, you know, because Sacramento, you know, I have I have memories, obviously, of it, but nothing real formative, you know what I mean? Um, so, uh Reading's kind of where I call you know the place that I grew up and and it was a lot like Medford was when I moved yeah. here in in '02. So um, I loved it there and and had a great had a great childhood there growing up.
0: It has not, Mother Nature has not been nice to Redding this past summer.
1: No. Well, that area in general. That whole area. No. um, So sad. Yeah. I was down there for, uh, like, when the car fire was exploding. I happened Mm. to be already going down to visit my folks, and um, it was like, he's got this island in his kitchen, we had this map out, and we had, I had, like, a chat going with um, all of my old high school friends who Like me, still had family living in the area, and Mm -hmm. we were, like, all sharing information and circling things on the map and who's here and who's there and is everybody safe. And kind of had this little mini war room going in in my dad's house during the the peak of the car fire, which at the time we thought, wow, it can't get any worse than this. And then, of course, this campfire happened, and oh, my gosh, it was just horrible. Well,
0: one thing I kept thinking of, Paradise, that's where Joe Moxley was born. He was born in Paradise, California. Was he really? Mm-hmm. I have not talked
1: with him since. Yes, I so haven't
0: either. I've been meaning to reach I will have out to, walk to him over and, today
1: and have a chat with him. Please yeah. do because yeah.
0: I don't know how much family or friends he still right. has in Paradise, but right. that whole community is devastated. Yeah. It
1: was It's super sad.
0: It's really sad. So, you went to high school then in Redding? Yeah. Central Valley.
1: Central Valley High School. Mascot? Falcons. Okay. Do you remember the
0: fight song? Uh,
1: No. Even if you did, like you would sing it for me? Yeah, I wouldn't sing it for you. But I was, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't the worst kid in high school, but I wasn't I wasn't the best kid either. Mm-hmm. So I probably had zero interest in in learning a fight song. Um, <laughs> I was more interested in getting out to the lake. <laughs>
0: right, right. So good student, decent student,
1: decent student, like just not quite good enough to get into the the smart kids class. Right. Um,
0: Do you ever look back though and and just think, man, if I would have applied myself,
1: b- uh, probably. Oh, the I'm things sure I could I have done. Yeah. I actually had more fun. I was in. Um, I was in journalism, I was in, did the newspaper, the school mm. newspaper, and um, I, was, I remember one time I applied to get into one of the honors classes and got denied and was really <laughs> pissed off about it, so I wrote this real nasty article in the, <laughs> in the school newspaper about it, and I got uh, in trouble from the, 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 I don't know, whether the faculty advisor, because um, mm-hmm. she took heat from the board because I was talking bad about it. About the honors program, which you don't do, apparently. Well,
0: I'm sorry, lady. That's called journalism. Yeah, right? Hashtag oh, I was, journalism. I was
1: like Woodward there, you know, breaking, <laughs> totally. the, breaking the story.
0: Just just like Bob. Yeah, just, just, just like, like him. Bob. So then what came after high school? Were you wanting to go off to college? Did you want to start something different?
1: You know, I, I knew college was always um, in the cards. I can't say that in high school I was super focused on what I wanted to to major in, in high school or in um, college, uh, my parents got divorced when I was, I think like halfway through my sophomore year of high school. Okay. And by, you know, late junior, early senior year, I think I had kind of focused in on, um, this is going to be funny for you who knows me, um, marriage and family therapy. Mm -hmm. I was thinking I would want to do that and I'd be good at it, right? You're trying not to laugh (laughs) because it's quite amusing now. Um, to think back on, and how could I possibly have been interested in that? But you know, that experience I think shaped me um, at that point in my life, and um, so the by experience the, of your parents getting of divorced. the divorce, mm-hmm. um, and so um, when I when I did finally end up going, I, I started as a, a sociology major with mm. the intent of getting a, a marriage and family therapy you know okay. license ultimately.
0: I think I've talked a lot about divorce on this podcast, just because. I'm a kid of divorce, so it, it's something that resonates with me. But I don't think if you're 8 or 18 or 38, div- the divorce of your parents is just weird.
1: Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, it is It is definitely weird. I think um, even even at that age, uh, how old are you when you're a sophomore? I don't know, 15 yeah. or something like that? Ugh. Um, Ugh, that's awkward. You know, it was rough, but, uh, you know, at the same time uh, – I think even then, my sister and I both knew it was it was for the best, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so while I, I certainly didn't take it um, lightly. Um, I, you know, ultimately I knew, you know, what this needed to happen. Right, right. It's so. kind of
0: like, you know, the scene from Talladega Nights where they say they're getting a divorce and the two kids are like, two Christmases! <laughs>
1: right, right.
0: And they get super excited. And, you know, Chris Dennett was on the podcast uh-huh. and he was talking about his parents getting divorced and they're like, now we just want to make sure you know it's not your fault. Right. And he's like, of course yeah. it's not my fault. Yeah. I'm perfect.
1: No, we. I, I had no... Um, illusions that that same uh, my sister or I had anything to do no. with it it was it was definitely an issue between my folks exactly so. <laughs> even at eight years old
0: I knew this is not me right this is you too and that's totally fine right and then looking back on it too as an adult you just want to go you want to tell your parents thank you that was the best thing you could have yeah. done for us and our family I probably
1: well I don't know if I thanked them for it you know but I I've certainly had conversations with them about yeah how how uh, it was so obviously the best thing they could have yeah. done for, you don't, for each other and their You don't
0: their want to lives. grow up with two people yeah. who just don't want to be together. Yeah. That's not fun. So, anywho, so. Yeah, anyway, so in, that happened, and,
1: and and so I decided to go off, and, um, well, I ended up staying at home uh, for a couple of reasons um, for about a year and a half at the junior college, getting, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the GEs out of the way. Right. With finances, obviously. I think a lot of kids probably. Um, well, it would it would do a lot of kids well to to consider that as an option. Um, Agree. Uh, but uh, so I did. I did the GE at the junior college. Went off to um, UC Santa Cruz uh, simply because it was a fantastic looking campus. I it's remember talking not bad. to I talked to an advisor. Where should I go for sociology? He's like, it doesn't really matter. Go someplace that you think is cool. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's rad. So <laughs> UC Santa Cruz, um, not a bad place. No, to go. not a bad place. I scored this this rad. Dorm room as a, as a junior transfer coming in, um, like on the corner of the building with windows on all the, the corners, overlooking the ocean. Um, my roommate and I hated each other, so he hooked mm-hmm. up with some gal and moved out like midway through the term. Sweet. Me being the industrious individual I am, <laughs> disassembled all of his furniture, stashed it underneath my bed, so I had this like giant pad and we all would hang out in. <laughs> this little bachelor <laughs> That's pad. That's right. It was my little, my little college bachelor pad. Awesome. Um, and... Did, did sociology for a while until I realized that was stupid mm-hmm. um, got got uh, advised to switch over to psychology which is you know not a whole lot different from sociology and ended up graduating with a degree in um, psychology
0: now when you graduated was it like okay now what
1: um, no because uh, I had already established myself with uh, with with an outreach program, outreach center at mm-hmm. the university, had a good job. They hired me on after school. I you know, by the time I graduated with a degree in psychology, I knew this is gonna be a pointless degree for me. I'm not this really? is, I'm not there's no way I'm using this. Um it's just something to put on my application when I start applying for jobs. Okay. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like I was disappointed at all. I'm not going to be a psychologist. Well, Plus, I knew, and you know me, I can't, I couldn't sit and listen to people tell me about their problems and <laughs> actually try and help them with those problems. Right. I, I don't have the personality for it. And for, unfortunately, I didn't l- learn that until... I was already graduating, right? and it was too late to go back um, and start over again. So um, I got hired on by the university uh, and ran an outreach program uh, for UC Santa Cruz for a couple years. Awesome. Um,
0: You met Aaron at
1: UC Santa Cruz. That's actually the only... uh, Beneficial thing other than being able <laughs> to list it on a resume that came out of my psychology degree, because uh, my wife too is was was a uh, psych major. So oh, really? uh, we You're ended up both
0: psych majors. Yeah, I didn't know that.
1: Both psych majors, both not doing anything in psychology. That's yeah.
0: fantastic.
1: I, you know, it'd be funny to do a poll on. All undergrad psych majors mm-hmm. ever in the history of undergrad mm-hmm. psych majors and see what percentage of them are actually doing something in psychology. Yeah. My guess is it's probably pretty small.
0: I would I would <laughs> agree with you there. So what brought you guys up to Southern Oregon then?
1: Um, so I was working for the university down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Erin uh, at the time was managing the apartment complex we lived in because um, she had graduated too. Um, and... I remember, so everything, our apartment, my job, and the grocery store were really within sort of a square mile of each other. Fantastic. Very close, you know, Santa Cruz. Right. And I was at work, uh, 5 o'clock, called Aaron. I said, funny, um, as I'm in the beer industry now, I was like, hey, I'm at a beer at home, i got to go to the store. So <laughs> so I'm going to drive over there real quick before I come home, uh-huh. and then, um, you know, we'll start dinner. So uh, I got in my car, and it took me... Um, I think it was like forty-five minutes or an hour to get the less than one mile it was to the Safeway to get the beer. Mm-hmm. I came home. I don't know how long it, long it took me to get home. Then at that point, probably another forty-five minutes. Um, I, I basically could have walked the whole thing in less than half the right. time. And this
0: is based on just the traffic. The traffic,
1: you know, it's 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 Bay Area, you right. know, commute traffic. Mm. Um, mm. So uh, I got home and I was like, I'm out. I'm done. We're mm. out of here. I can't handle this anymore. You know, because I'm I hate traffic. Uh, I'm spoiled here now. You know. I know. And uh, you're I, just
0: a wee bit impatient. Oh, just a little bit. Just a right. teeny I tiny think so. bit.
1: So, um, that happened, and and I started looking for work. I think probably that evening. Um, really. And I started looking from Reading North. Uh, okay. I it, it, initially we had wanted to get up to Washington. Uh, my in-laws mm-hmm. own some property up there. We loved the the Port Orchard, um, Bremerton, Port Orchard area, and so I started looking for work up there. And because I was working for a university already, I was looking in the um, uni- college university sector. Yeah, uh, you know, up there, and you know, between Reading and and Eugene, there's not a lot going on in that in that sector of work to begin with. So. Um, as it happened, I I stumbled upon an opening at Southern Oregon University, applied for it, and and got it. And we were moving up this way. Um, nice. Within probably six months or so. Yeah.
0: When remember. was that? What year was that?
1: So we moved up here in October of '02. Okay. Yeah, I think a big fire just happened before then. Um, yes, the biscuit I remember, fire. Yeah, um, I remember pictures up in the. I, I, my job was in the um uh, an admin assistant for the the university president at the time mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Zinser. and I remember she had these pictures up in her in her office with like the the hills across the highway from Ashland like on fire it was yep. nuts it was
0: Yeah I actually had graduated June of 2002 or May of 2002 that same obviously it's the same year it's right. 2002 02, right. um, got the job here in June and that summer was my initiation into oh, wow. the broadcast television nice. world because Exciting. I, Yeah, really? it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, I was literally on a fire every single day, starting at the end of July. Yeah. Every single day, I was that on was a fire. It was a crazy scene. year right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Not as crazy as obviously we've seen this no, year.
1: No, nothing like.
0: It's been kind of nuts. Yeah. But yeah, that was yeah. the that was the lovely biscuit fire. Yeah, one of the largest in state history at that time. So, oh, wow. so yeah, we both moved here in two thousand two. Yeah.
1: yeah, it was a great year, right?
0: How long were you at SOU?
1: Uh, over a decade. Wow! Yeah, I didn't realize it was that. Yeah, uh, I think it was officially um, uh, uh, just just over a decade. Um, Towards the end, there, um, you know, because the economy was just um, horrible Mm -hmm. uh, towards the end, and um, I had already survived a number of of layoffs. I had jumped around in the university. I wasn't in the president's office the entire time. I had sort of jumped around. Um, Ultimately, I ended up over in student affairs. And uh, my position there was um, finally eliminated without something else for me to jump into. But uh, I had a great boss at the time, and uh, he was able to negotiate, uh, a, a, like, as, as part of the negotiations, to, to hire me on with the. Uh, Food service contractor that took over the food service operation at sou okay um so i ended up working for them um uh, as a controller doing the books um for uh, i think it was like three three years or so uh before ultimately they l- eliminated that position so i finally <laughs> became the victim of layoffs at sou just just um I, I survived a little bit longer because of the um contract food service company right. that came in
0: So then how did this whole beer thing for you start? Because you were, were you working at SOU when you were kind of thinking about this or?
1: Uh, Yeah. So um, prior to being laid off, ultimately, um, Aaron and I were randomly uh, in in Blackbird one day, I think just killing some time. We were bored. We were sort of window shopping. And um, I I walked into the homebrew section. I was looking at the stuff. I was like, you know, I don't know how to make anything i'd been in i'd been in like administration my entire life Mm -hmm. um so you know woodworking skills you know my dad taught me to work on cars a little bit but by work on cars i mean you know i could change oil and spark plugs and tires and you know all the basic stuff like Mm -hmm. that but it's not like i could rebuild an engine kind of thing sure um no no real craft ability you know can't make furniture don't have any woodworking skills you know so i was like i don't Know how to make anything, right? Mm-hmm. I, I should learn how to make something so that I can pr- have something to produce. i You know, I know how to produce something. Yeah. So, um, we bought this five-gallon bucket homebrew kit and and started brewing beer at home. And that you know, I have sort of a in addition to being a little bit impatient, you might know, uh, you might not know this. I'm a little sort of obsessive about things, um, right?
0: Yeah, I did done that. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> shocking to some people. Uh,
1: so the the five gallon bucket quickly evolved into the you know giant tanks at my house, f- giant for home brewing standards. And yeah. you know, going from just using like these liquid extract kits to all grain mills and sacks of grain and you know bags of hops at the house, taking off taking up most of the garage. Right. I mean, you jumped <laughs> in
0: once you started making beer. You guys like you really for you sort of jumped in you were like
1: yeah it was i mean even on the homebrew scale it was like yeah. six months and i was already brewing you know 10 15 i can't even really remember now what my size of my system mm-hmm. ultimately ended up being but i am mean, you know splitting it with with other people to to kind of share costs putting it in kegs rather than bottling it um just because it was simpler to, mm-hmm. to manage that kind of volume in a keg and um yeah. the people
0: that were drinking this beer because it wasn't just you. You had other people drinking. People would
1: come over and brew with me, and, um, you know, uh, Dennis being mm-hmm. my business partner, Dennis being one of them, um, he would he would come over, and we would brew and drink and eat, and it was kind of like a party. Um, mm-hmm. And he got into it, but, you know, got into it in the sense that he didn't want to do it at his house, but was liked it so much that he would brew or, like, participate in the brew with me at, at, at my place when we brewed. Okay. Um... So, I sort of taught him all that stuff, and uh, but did
0: you guys like at at some point you know you were tasting this beer, you just made a batch or whatever and, and you're tasting it the next day or whatever how that works and did you just kind of go like this is this is really good is it just me or is this really good? Hey everybody, is this really good
1: um no, I, you know I don't know that that happened I think what I think what happened was um uh, you know um I got I got the my layoff ultimate layoff notice and uh-huh. it was fortunate because it was sort of a long it was like hey in six months or we're not going to renew this position in the in you know the next six months or maybe it may, it may have even been a year um, mm-hmm. thinking back and I sat down with uh, with Aaron and I I was like um what are we going to do I was like I'm not going to there's no right now there's no jobs for someone like me in the valley you know no one's going to hire me as a bookkeeper right now. Um, so what do you think we should do? And and we just kind of had this conversation. And I was like, well, you know, people seem to like the beer. I, I guess we we don't really have we don't have kids. We don't have a lot. We don't have any debt really, other than the house payment. Um, why don't we try and open a open a brewery and see what happens? I mean, it's it's I don't I I think in order to um, get a job, I'm going to have to make a job. So maybe mm-hmm. this brewery thing is the way to go. Um, and and she, you know, supported me, God bless her, 100%. And, yeah. And so we told her that's Den-
0: a pretty big venture. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's I, not I, like. You
1: know, I've never, I've obviously never owned a business. You know, I had some management. Um, sure. Background in, in my previous work. So I knew how to sort of manage money and manage people. Um, but, uh, you know owning a business is a, is a whole different mm-hmm. is a whole different thing okay. so it was it was scary for sure but so exciting you, you know yes. at the same time because
0: it's and I think I was just gonna say you know your path with work and this goes for a lot of people I think you sort of fall into something and you start doing it and then you just kind of think to yourself I really love doing fill in the blank yeah. I really love doing this this would be great if I could get paid to do right. this thing right here
1: right uh, yeah, you're right. And, th- th- of course, that is what we thought. We're like, oh, my gosh. We love we love making beer anyway. Uh, you know, how cool would it be if we could make money off of it? Um, and so um, what's what's funny about that is I think that's the way it is with any hobby that you're really into. Yeah. And then you start, if you choose to, you start doing it for money. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, this is work. And it <laughs> becomes, you know, yeah. we still, Dennis and I still to this day love doing what we do i don't want to do anything else um and i I, you know uh we really have a passion for beer making but you know at least early on when we first started it people are like man this must be rad this is the fun you know like and i would tell them it's not the party you know it's not the party we used to have at my house where you know we're making pizza rolls and drinking pints while we were brewing a batch of beer yep you know this is this is our business now we need to This needs to work, or we don't get paid. Exactly. Um, And so it becomes, it sort of transitions to a job, a job you love, but it's no longer a You know, there is no such thing, I think, as a hobby you get paid for. It's, it's. I mean, unless you do it just kind of, oh, let me throw up my, you know, bead necklace on Etsy, and it's not really your source of income. Mm -hmm. You know, once you turn a hobby into your source of income, it. You know, it changes the dynamic of it a little bit.
0: Well, I was listening to some famous person give, uh, you know, a commencement speech at a college university. I don't remember the the person, but I just remember them saying, you know, if you get to find your passion and get to do that every day and get paid for it, that's fantastic. However, at the end of the day, it's still a job. Yeah. And it's still something that you're going to have to go to. Right. And there's going to be days that you don't want to go to that job, even right. though in your heart, you love it. Yeah. People say the same thing. It, your job must be so cool. Most days it is cool. Right. I get to be on TV and read the news, and I'm the first to know about stuff that happens in this valley. But at the end of the day, it's still a job. It's right. still something that I have to come to every single yeah. day.
1: And, you know, it's there's the added stress of it being a job versus being right. a hobby. Oh, if this batch doesn't turn out, whatever, I'll just dump it. Whereas, oh, if this batch doesn't yeah. turn out, oh, my gosh, that's... You know, however much dollars and cents you know that we don't get to make. Uh, well, you now. just said
0: if it's it's still something that you have to get paid for. So if at some point this company's like we don't like you anymore, Trish Close, you're out. Right. I'm done. Right. So I mean, yeah, it's still there's a lot of pressure, even though it is something that you absolutely love doing. Yeah. It's yeah. still a job.
1: And we love, uh, you know, we absolutely still love it. We love being there. We love interacting with people, um, despite our both of our odd personalities that Dennis and I have <laughs> um, Dennis he's uh, calling you odd um, amazingly people <laughs> still like us I don't know why but um, uh, you know so we're still having fun um, and and yeah
0: you know. well let's let's go back a little bit sure. you guys decide to do this and then apocalypse Brewing opens when 2015
1: right. uh, uh, no 12 okay we just celebrated our six year anniversary so okay. September September. Of, of 2012 right yeah
0: um because i remember chuck and i see this sandwich board sign right yeah. by because we used the to live. only
1: sign i was allowed to put out
0: yes <laughs> we used to live over here so i remember seeing it we were you know stopped by and we're like let's go check it out yeah. and the it brewery
1: was, in a warehouse yes let's go take a look what's going on in this guy's garage right
0: we did a flight of beer we wanted to taste your beer and we were both like you know at that point in our lives pretty savvy about beer and both thinking like this is really good and then we got hooked. Like, I think a lot of people got hooked. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We, uh, you know, we have a lot of friends right now um, that were the, f- you know, first mm-hmm. group of be- people that come in that we still have been friends with for, for years now. Who, and, still you know, and, and still loyal customers. And still loyal customers, regulars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,
0: so you guys, so you just celebrated six years.
1: Six. It was six years in September. Yeah. Okay.
0: So what was the reasoning for calling the brewery Apocalypse Brewing?
1: Um, well, I remember, um, how we came up with the name, um, was Aaron and I were camping in the middle of winter, um, uh, during our planning stages, it was raining. We like to do that. We have a little camper we pull out Mm -hmm. and we were sitting in there. It was, it was cold and rainy outside and we were playing games and I was like, Hey, let's talk about, you know, brewery names. Let's start brainstorming brewery names. And so we kind of came up with this list, um, and sort of apocalypse sort of, uh, floated to the top um, simply because, um, uh, again, something you may not know about me, Trish, is I kind of can be a little bit cynical a- a- about things at times. What? Right? These are, I- I'm blowing your mind today with all these You're shocking revelations. are all of these
0: secrets on this podcast <laughs> today.
1: And, um, So we were kind of. It was sort of a joke because you know I'm watching the news. I'm like, oh, it's the end. This is it. This is happening. You know, whatever. Some tornado here or some massive earthquake there. I'm like, oh, the apocalypse is here. It's coming. I would. You know, I would. This would be something I would just kind of joke with Aaron about as we'd be watching the news at night every night. And so um, I I don't even remember if it was uh, her or me that came up with apocalypse brewing but that was the one that we're like yeah that's that kind of that kind of fits you nick um Mm -hmm. the best let's go let's go with that it
0: really it really really had nothing
1: more to do with that than it was a funny a funny sort of quirky joke yeah between Aaron and I, based on my personality. And then all the,
0: all the beers sort of kind of fell into that same theme. Yeah, we of kind of named, once we came up with the apocalypse
1: name, we sort of yeah. did the names of the beers after, you know, yeah. what's the name, whatever, Apocalypsey. I just so, made up a word there. I but.
0: think a lot of people would agree with me, especially those early Apocalypse Brewing customers. We were just like, what a great name. And right. we had all these like fun nicknames for Apocalypse uh-huh. Brewing and, you know, the bunker, it was still the bunker yeah. and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And then you just...
1: Yeah, we had a little a little run-in with another brewery. Um, we can mention, right? I don't know. Can we? You sure. tell me. Is, yeah, it, it's is it allowed? Tin Barrel. T- it, it was Tin Barrel, yeah.
0: Tin Barrel just said it basically... It's
1: funny. We had been to Tin Barrel um, that previous February, because uh, I think the, the kerfuffle sort of took place December-ish. So um, the previous February for Zwickelmania we had been up in Bend, because we go every year and ran into the owners of 10 Barrel and uh, Mm -hmm. Chris, and I can't remember what the other brother's name is, and had a great conversation, very friendly. They were great, Um, told them we're opening a brewery. And I I think, I'm I'm literally, I'm not joking, I didn't even realize that they had an IPA called Apocalypse IPA until that day when we had the conversation with them and we were there drinking it. We're like, you know, oh, hope you don't have a problem with us calling our brewery Apocalypse. And they laughed, oh no, don't worry about it. We're not like that, no big thing. and oh, so, but they,
0: but that was a problem. That was a huge problem. Well, it problem. turned out to
1: be a problem. Yeah. I got a call later from Chris saying, hey, the board of directors, because apparently that a board of directors, um, uh, you know, has a problem with the name. We need you to change You're it. You're like,
0: my board of directors Yeah, right? I was like, oh, fine. let me
1: get back with my board of directors. <laughs> hey, Aaron, they don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, uh-huh. yeah, uh, they, they took issue with it. We believed there to be enough um, – market saturation with the use of that name in both beer and wine, which are generally sort of lumped together when it comes to mm-hmm. um, naming rights and copyright issues and things like that. Uh, you know, you could, at, at that time, you could do a search on Google for apocalypse beer or apocalypse wine and find just a, a ton of different beers and wines with using that terminology. Okay. So we felt we had a case to fight against them, you know, to keep the name. And... Uh, So we, we, you know, we hired an attorney and sort of did the back and forth thing for a little bit. And finally I realized um, there's no way we can afford, even though we believe to be um, uh, okay using this name, Mm -hmm. um, whether or not we're right, we can't win because we can't afford to win. So Mm -hmm. – Ultimately, I made the call. If it, if I lifted up, I think to the others, we would just have fought until we were broke. But I was like, you know what? We can't, we can't let the brewery go just over a, a fight with another brewery. So, um, we, uh, um, we decided to change the name. And...
0: Do you think that was fair? Of them.
1: Um. You know, I don't know. I guess I could see. Well. If it had just been Ten Barrel, I can see where they were coming from as a small brewery trying to protect their naming rights. Um, I don't don't believe it was fair because I believe there was so much market saturation that there was a lot of apocalypse stuff out there. So why are they coming after me and not any of these other people that have? Mm -hmm. um, Ultimately, what it likely was was part of the negotiation process. This is just speculation um, between them and Anheuser-Busch during the buyout process because they Mm. announced not too long after sort of we settled that they were you know had sold to anheuser-busch and were becoming part of that that uh, multinational Um, and so it it likely was just a loose end that anheuser-busch was all tie that up Um,
0: totally because they're now owned by anheuser-busch
1: Correct, correct. They are part of the Anheuser Bush.
0: And I think for company. and this is just me as, first of all, your friend and a at that time, you know, and still to this day, a very loyal customer to Apocalypse and Opposition Brewing, a lot of us were super mad.
1: Oh yeah, a lot of people were pissed. Super and mad. And they were pissed at me for saying, you know what, we're just gonna we're gonna go ahead and change our name because yeah. again, you know, I I guess that's kinda one of the things I like about our our sort of demographic. You know, we're all very respectful, um, good people, but you know, we're a little feisty, you know, we don't like to be pushed around right. and that was being, that was being pushed around, uh, you know? And so, I mean to the um, point
0: where I, you know, and I, I just, I, I won't drink, I won't drink 10 barrel beer. Yeah, yeah. I just won't because I just feel like for me, that's, that's the little thing that I can do right. because it irritated me so much right. at the time. I was just like, this is so not fair. And it happened to a lot of other breweries across the country.
1: Right. Um, you know, I, I, I I have heard that that it is not uncommon for large. um, I'm trying to be very. uh, You don't have to. Legally. uh, (laughs) I have heard that it is not uncommon for much larger companies. Mm -hmm. To sort of do that to smaller companies. And what's. It's sort of one of the. um, Unfortunate aspects of the legal system. Is that you don't have to be right. You just have to be able to outspend your opponent. Um, So when it comes to things like copyright. Um, issues Mm -hmm. or trademark issues um, whether or not you have a legitimate case doesn't necessarily matter Um, it's whether or not you can afford to argue that case in front of a judge so um, if you're small um, and have no money which we had no money um, uh, because it had all gone very recently into opening the business in the first place exactly um, we could not sustain a legal battle with with you know because you know I don't know. I don't know who was paying the bill at that time, Ten Barrel or Anheuser Busch, but mm-hmm. I'm sure either one of them had you know millions of dollars. And to, they weren't going to gonna outspend stop me. And they would have just yeah, they yeah, would just they weren't going to stop. Me. Yeah.
0: And I think a lot of people too at the time when Anheuser Busch bought them, it you know, for those true microbrew people, it was just this idea of like sellouts. Right. What a bunch of sellouts. You
1: know, I'm. I, I had that same mm-hmm. opinion at the time um, and I think I think it's a legitimate sort of gripe to have but um, and and Chris Dennett and I have had this conversation many a times you know the the American dream is to start a business and make a ton of money right and retire early and so you know um, I, I don't know how Ten barrel went about it to, to set themselves up to be purchased by Anheuser-Busch. There may be some backstory there. Mm-hmm. But um, if if a little guy starts a great business and gets offered, you know, 10, 20, 30, however many millions of dollars by some larger company and chooses to sell that and and take that money to the bank, you know, how can you begrudge them doing that? You can. You know, that's a, that's a business decision. Um,
0: because as I just say, said that, the idea of that happening to you, right. I would be like, Oh my gosh! Congratulations! Right. That's so amazing. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. So I guess it's just because they were picking on my friends.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it made us mad too. But um, so you know, so uh, you know, the whole um. Uh, multinational buyouts of these of these smaller craft companies is, is a very interesting debate in the in the craft right. beer industry um you know how does that impact the industry and and i think more than anything um it doesn't necessarily have to it can mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to impact the beer of the of the company that
0: exactly is being
1: purchased right it is possible um in, in theory, for a very large multinational to buy a smaller-ish, uh, you know, 10 Barrel wasn't particularly small, I don't think, at the time, but s- small compared to, mm-hmm. to Budweiser, right? Um, it is possible for a large company to buy a small brewery like that and the beer to remain just as, as, as good great. as everyone remembered it. Um, I think where, the, where it, of course, it is possible that it doesn't, right? I think where the bigger issue comes is how does the multinational then use that to leverage marketing and and sort of a market manipulation to suggest that um you know these these quote-unquote small breweries are are actually independent small breweries not owned by you know a major Mm -hmm. corporation Mm -hmm. you you look on any of the um labels of these smaller breweries that have been purchased you won't find the, mul- the whichever multinational it is, because an Anheuser Busch isn't the only one to do it. Right, you will not find anywhere on those labels anything that says uh, you know owned owned by or subsidiary of you know Miller Coors, Anheuser Busch, mm-hmm. whoever it may mm-hmm. be. So you know they're really trying to sort of um, uh, get get a hold on the craft beer market um, with with you know what some might consider some subterfuge there because yeah. Um,
0: And again, I agree with you. It's especially in this world where we tend to be super negative. You know, at the end of the day, if it's, again, if it happened to you, I would be so incredibly happy for my friends who made this amazing, successful move in their career. Right. So, whatever. Good luck. We have no plans (laughs) to
1: do that, by the way. So, we're we're just... Happy as clams, running the running the shop the way we want to run it. Do you so. want my
0: people to call the people over at Anheuser Busch? Yeah. Well, you know, if
1: I got a knock on the door and they had a bunch of bunch of suitcases of cash, you know, you you're never, not gonna slam You the... never know. I'm not yeah. gonna put myself uh, in a position to automatically say no, but exactly. we have no plans of doing that. We're quite content operating our our tiny little. I business like it. over there out of the garage
0: well we're gonna wrap up a little bit but uh if you are listening go see uh nick and aaron and dennis and, and penny and all of the regulars at opposition brewing on yeah. um uh ross Stanley.
1: yeah just down the street from you yep yeah. and it's
0: behind the uh, you'll see the human being coffee stand and you guys are right back there
1: yeah you gotta pull in you gotta you gotta pretend you're getting a. Co- we tell people who don't know how to get there pull in like you're getting a cup of coffee because we're sort of I'm hidden just, we're hidden yep. behind the coffee shack
0: um it's and it's fantastic beer
1: well, thank you. You guys do we an amazing so. job. Yeah. Yes.
0: All right. Final three. Best right. advice you've ever been given, Nick Ellis?
1: Best advice. Um, I got to say it was from my father. I think like most best advices are. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told me, uh, um, particularly around the time I was starting this business, don't be afraid to take risk. Mm-hmm. Um, I think particularly when it comes to um, uh, the business world, uh there's you don't really ever achieve any kind of success or you you limit the reward you can get from said business if you never are willing to take any risk and you know you look at you look at all of the the biggest names in business the most successful people in business and they've all taken in their in their lifetime huge risks many times failing um, and getting back up and taking another yet another risk mm-hmm. um, and so I think um, I think that's a fantastic piece of advice.
0: Yeah. Tighten your gut and butt clench a little bit and just go for it.
1: Yeah. You just, sometimes you just got to take the jump.
0: Okay. Uh, if you ever left this place, what would bring you back? What would you miss the most?
1: Like besides our friends, um, Mm -hmm. who we have so many fantastic, uh, friends here now in the Valley. Um, I think it, it goes without saying the, the, the geography, um, my wife and I, and, and our daughter now um love um the outdoors so rafting camping hiking uh i'm a runner i love running both road running trail running we just have so much opportunity for that sort of thing here um mm-hmm. you know the rogue river is right in our back door and has some of the greatest uh you know multi-day whitewater rafting opportunity and you know we quickly got sucked into that knowing our own gear and and yeah, love I- doing that so you know if we if we were ever to leave, and I don't know why we would, um, that that would be the thing that we would miss the most and, and that would draw us back awesome. the most. Awesome, yeah.
0: awesome. Yeah, you guys post a few pictures of your kid on Facebook. Just, I'm
1: one of those parents now. You know, <laughs> I used to complain about those parents, and now I'm one of them. Uh, I think it's hard not to be.
0: She's, oh, so cute.
1: She's a, she's a sweetheart.
0: Those cheeks. Yeah. Just alone, you should post the, the cheeks. cheeks. Oh, man. Right. She's a cutie pie. She is a cutie. All right, final meal, final drink. What would that look like?
1: Um, you know, I, I thought about this. Um, of course, you based did. Based on you're, your other podcasts, you and I are yeah. big foodies, and yeah,
0: we've cooked together in the kitchen before. We share recipes right. sometimes. Yes. like you and I are definite foodies, so I knew you'd like this question.
1: Um, so, so I think it depends on the time of day that my last meal occurs. All day. All day. So, um, well, that's yeah. So, I think I would start in the morning um, with shrimp and grits, but not any shrimp and grits, Trish. Mm-hmm. Your shrimp and grits. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Those South Carolina grits. To the world out there, (laughs) no one makes shrimp and grits better than this person right here. Why, thank you, sir. Best on the planet. Man, Um, thank uh, you. you got to pair that with some champagne because it's morning and it's breakfast Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. what you drink. Agreed. Um, So shrimp and grits and some champagne, I think, for breakfast. Lunch is a a little bit of a harder one. I think a nice, you know, like a really good juicy burger, Mm. some sweet potato fries, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, a, a... a, a rad beer, you know, um, there's so many out there, I don't you know, pro- I, you know, I don't have like a favorite beer, cause there's like a thousand of them, that I, I just know. can drink, no matter what, so, um, a really good beer, um, and, and a burger, I think for lunch, and for dinner, it's probably gotta be, uh, um, some sort of Italian, uh, like, uh, like man, okay. um, uh, uh, risotto, probably something with risotto, I love oh. risotto, uh-huh. you can never get risotto in restaurants, so, um, whenever I get the chance to have it, um, I do. Um, you know, with the manicotti and of course uh, red wine, because yes. you know I make, make beer but uh, drink wine most of the time. So, yes, um, you're a big red wine fan. Yeah, so I think I think that would what a that day. Would be, that would be a good day. <laughs> I, I try and make all my weekends like that, actually. <laughs> Same here. Right.
0: right. Uh, you never know. The food might
1: change, but, you know, champagne, beer, wine, you know, you you got the trifecta there. And I agree. <laughs> you know,
0: someone, I think Chuck and I were talking, it was a Tuesday night, and we're cooking up filet and, right? you know, some, you know, nice whatever vegetable and opening a great bottle of wine. And we both looked at each other like, why not?
1: Yeah. We have the, we have access to it here in the in the Rogue Valley, so you might as well take advantage of it. I agree. Yeah. All right. Sure.
0: Nick Ellis. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. We're also on Google Play, and you can check out the video portion of this podcast at com. Just click on features and then off script. My friend, Nick Ellis, thank you so much. Thank
1: you, Trish.